hard to understand why anyone would want to kidnap another human being. The pain you inflict on another human is tremendous, leaving them with physical and mental scars that ultimately stays with them forever. The people who have lived through these ordeals are powerful and continue to inspire us with their undeniable strength. Here are their stories. Gregory Jean Jr. 13-year-old Gregory and his brother Samuel first visited his biological father Greg and his stepmother Samantha Davis in 2010. His brother Sammy was allowed to go home but the couple refused to let the older child go back to his mother. While the young boy was there, his father insisted that he stayed to avoid paying child support to Gregory Jr.'s biological mother Lisa. The boy's mother hesitantly agreed only when the father drafted an informal child custody arrangement. However, things turned for the worst when Gregory Jr.'s new family pulled him out of school after the child tried to tell a school counselor of how he was being treated. He was kept home always after this incident, and the couple kept the kid hidden behind a wall. His mother eventually filed a missing person report. In the beginning of his stay, Gregory was treated fairly, but things turned for the worse as time passed. The child was soon forced to be a maid, cleaning every bit of the house, and if things were left out of place, he would get beat by a stick. As a punishment for talking, his stepmother would make him write a large amount of words from the dictionary onto a school book, and if he didn't finish the words at a certain time, his parents would not give him food whatsoever. Gregory Jr. was also confined to sleep in the cold garage on a camping bed with just a thin blanket as a cover while his step-siblings slept in their own bedrooms. When holidays came around, the poor kid was banned from celebrating days like Christmas as punishment for talking too much. He was, however, given presents, but he was not allowed to touch it. In fact, he watched as his siblings played. Gregory Jr. recalled a time where his step-siblings brought friends over and his stepmother made him strip naked and forced a diaper on him to embarrass him in front of everyone. The evil stepmom also only allowed him to use the bathroom in a bucket. The entire ordeal finally ended when one Saturday morning, he was able to contact his mother, older sister, and brother via text messages after downloading a phone application called Magic Jack. The app enabled him to send messages from a separate device. His mother frantically called 911, and when police arrived, the stepmom tried to hide Gregory Jr., but the authorities were not convinced of the false wall in the cupboard located in the attic of the garage. When they found him, he thanked them, and he was soon reunited with his mother and siblings for the first time in four years. Gregory Jr.'s father and stepmother were both charged with felony offenses of child cruelty and false imprisonment. The three step-siblings that also tortured a child were charged with obstruction. Connie McAllister When Connie McAllister was just 15 years old, she was dating a 22-year-old Mexican man. Then, on August 15, 2004, Connie went to a party with her boyfriend, Freddy Ruiz, and at that time, he wouldn't let her leave. In fact, the last contact the family had with Connie was that night, when she called her sister and said, and I quote, he won't bring me back. Apparently, this was the time when Freddy drugged her, only for her to wake up already in Mexico. Once in Mexico with Freddy, their relationship grew violent, and the guy who forced her into the country became very abusive. They eventually separated, but she was left in a very impoverished area as a teenager and had no way to reach her family, and was unfortunately stricken with consequences from physical as well as mental abuse. She landed in the hands of another violent man and experienced abuse so badly that she was frequently taken to the hospital. She was finally able to leave the abuse and married her current husband. Then in 2008, Connie contacted the police, but the authorities believed that the call was a hoax 
and did not follow through with the report. She went on to become a mother to three children while in Mexico, with absolutely no way to reach her family. Then sometime in mid-September, Connie spotted an American missionary while she was working at Walmart. The church worker then reported it to the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. They contacted Connie and confirmed her identity. They offered her a flight back, but she refused because she didn't want to leave her children behind. With the help of a local church and Connie's aunt, they launched a fundraising campaign that brought her husband and three children back home to Wisconsin. But the sexual predator, Freddie Ruiz, who abducted Connie in her early teens, is still at large. Sabine Dardine On the 28th of May, 1996, 12-year-old Sabine Dardine was kidnapped while riding her bike to school. Mark Dutro was the abductor. The serial rapist and murderer kept Sabine locked away in a cellar for 80 days, subjected the poor kid to repeated sexual torment and starvation as he convinced her that her parents didn't provide the ransom to save her. Though Sabine was young, she was resilient. She demanded, complained, repeatedly asked questions. The captor agreed to allow Sabine to write emotional letters to her friends and family, but he never sent them. Then she began begging for a friend. Therefore, Mark kidnapped a 14-year-old named Latita Delhaz specifically for Sabine to be content, saying to her, and I quote, Look what I've done for you. However, this was the captor's downfall. Local witnesses in Latita's hometown spotted his car during the abduction, and one of the witnesses wrote down his registration number. Six days after Latita's abduction, the information led to Mark's arrest, and the two girls were found alive. In the investigation, they uncovered that the captor was a serial murderer and rapist, discovering remains all over his property from multiple victims, with two of them being eight-year-olds. A total of five bodies were found, and most of them were buried alive. Mark is currently serving a life sentence for his evil acts. Nicholas Kalias Nicholas finally arrived at the University of Rochester. He was excited for his college career because he was finally living out his two great passions, which were football and playing the piano. To Nicholas, this was his dream. He was picked to play for the university's football team, and he was accepted into the famous Eastman School of Music. This was the highest point of his life, until everything turned sour when someone new joins the football team. Isaiah Smith was a star defensive player. Though Nicholas admired his athletic ability, Nicholas kept his distance because Isaiah was also known for dealing heavy drugs on campus. In fact, the football coaching staff even knew about their star football players dealing antics. Then, on the 28th of November 2015, Isaiah invited four men with four pounds of drugs to the college apartment complex on campus for a drug deal. Unfortunately, Isaiah brought them into another teammate's apartment with the intent of trapping them and stealing the pounds of weed. Three masked men suddenly came behind them, used a hammer to hit everyone, including Isaiah, to make it look like a random attack. However, Isaiah's story unraveled. He admitted that he set everything up. Meanwhile, the university swept the entire ordeal under the rug until the family members of those attacked decided to plot revenge against a Rochester University football player. On the 4th of December, Nicholas and a friend were talking to two women named Samantha Hughes and Leah Gigliotti. All four decided to hop inside a car to hang out with the intent of getting drunk and high. They passed the liquor bottle around until the car they were riding in brought them into a very bad neighborhood. Samantha, who drove the car, pulled into a two-story residence and lured the two men inside. 
The place was covered with urine and feces, which were scattered everywhere. And then suddenly, past the filth, were ten masked men, armed with their bats, knives, gun, and other torture weaponry. Nicholas tried to run away, but a masked man shot him in the leg, leaving him immobile. He later found that Samantha was a girlfriend of one of the men who was hit with a hammer. The torture immediately began. The ten men took turns beating him for 40 hours straight. Meanwhile, back in the university, the search for Nicholas and his friend began after they were reportedly missing. The authorities found the two women after they attempted to withdraw thousands of dollars from Nicholas's account. After the interrogation, the SWAT team were able to locate the building, rescuing the two students. The masked men were all arrested, including the masterminds Elliot Iver and Liddell Strickland, with Liddell receiving 155 years in prison. Nicholas believes that if the university had taken care of the football player dealing drugs and not swept it under the rug, the ordeal would have never happened to him or his friend. Today, Nicholas is left with anxiety, insomnia, a limp, and the struggle to run. However, he still plays the piano, which for him temporarily takes him away from his troubles. Amanda Lindout Amanda was a 24-year-old Canadian woman when she quit her job as a cocktail waitress and embarked on her journey to become a journalist. She used the money she saved from working at the bar to visit conflict war zones all over the world. First, she traveled to Afghanistan in May of 2007. Then, she moved to another assignment in Baghdad, Iraq, in January of 2008. There, she worked as a freelancer for Iran's television show, Press TV, where she was criticized by her home country, Canada, for producing propaganda for Iraq. While in Iraq, it was revealed that she was kidnapped in Seder City, but was released only several hours later after paying ransom to the abductors. However, it was denied in her book. Then, according to reports, she went to Somalia for an assignment for France 24, and only two days after arriving on the 23rd of August 2008, they left to conduct an interview with an IDP, or internally displaced person. They were suddenly stopped by a gunman. Amanda Lindau and 37-year-old photojournalist Nigel Brennan, along with their Somalian translator and driver, were kidnapped by teenage insurgents from the Hezbollah Islam fundamentalist group. The two were kidnapped in lieu of two more experienced journalists from National Geographic who brought sufficient security to withstand the abductors. While being held in captivity, Amanda was separated from Nigel and brought to a secluded area where she was repeatedly raped and tortured. A month later, on the 17th of September, the leader of the group, Al Jazeera, featured a footage of the two surrounded by gunmen and a month later, on October 13th, the group demanded $2.5 million by the end of that month. Ten months later, without a decision being made, a news outlet released a phone call from Amanda who seemed to be reciting a statement that begged to be rescued. Finally, on the 25th of November, more than 460 days later, the two journalists were released after the families paid the ransom payment utilizing a private firm that specialized in kidnappings. She was sent to Nairobi to be hospitalized, where she was treated for acute malnourishment. Six years after the ordeal, they arrested Ali Omar Ader in Ottawa, describing the man as the main negotiator. Hey guys, thank you so much for watching. Please like, comment, and subscribe. And don't forget to follow our social media pages, as well as our Patreon.